Welcome to this week's episode of Spoke. Thanks for joining me. Uh, this week we've got filmmaker Robert Galuzzo, as well as L7's bass player Jennifer Finch. If you're tuning in for the first time, you need to check out the previous episode because this, that's where we kick things off with uh, filmmaker Robert Galuzzo and L7's Jennifer Finch. Uh, Robert has a new film out called Analog Love, which explores the history of the mixtape uh, circa 1980s. It's available now and streaming everywhere. Uh, do yourself a favor and check it out. Uh, it's, it's not a misty-eyed nostalgia road trip. It's, um, it's actually a really feel-good kind of movie. So we pick up here where we left off last week, which is basically a continuation of the conversation about the importance of communicating through music and what that feels like, what that looks like, what that sounds like. As always, thanks for joining me, and I always appreciate your feedback. I appreciate all the kind words I've gotten so far. And, um, you know, in order for us to keep doing this, we need to keep spreading the word. And, um, you know, we're off to a great start. I just want to keep that momentum going. So please let your friends know about this podcast and what we're doing here. And as always, this episode of Spoke is sponsored by my buddies over at Kachunk Records in Annapolis, Maryland. You should check them out. One of the best indie stores on the East Coast, in my opinion. And music is provided by Michael Hampton and Sorob Habibian. This was a really fun episode to do, so enjoy. what we're really talking about here is kind of the need to like communicate through music and um, document and share it. And in the case of analog love, that's, you know, mixtapes, but um, like what makes us want to do that? You know, that's, that's a good question. And it was something I kind of wanted to ask Jennifer about because something she said the last time we chatted, which I thought was interesting was um, when I was talking about Henry Rollins collection and his need to kind of save everything, not just music, but the tapes and the flyers and all that. Um, there's, you know, how it's a responsibility for him. And one of the things that, that we touched on a little bit, it's on the Blu-ray is Jennifer's photography. And 
I just love that you felt the need to to document your experiences when you were first starting out in bands and, and yeah. kind of capturing the music. And what I really loved about what Jennifer does photography wise is I think the way you explained it is you like to capture the moment before the stage dive or the moment after the show, kind of not trying to get the the money shot, so to speak, but really trying to capture those moments before and after. Um, and I, you know, to, to bring it all around, it's kind of like, that's what I think, mixtapes are is a snapshot it's you're trying to capture a moment and and share it so um i know there's a long roundabout way and there's not really a question in there other than you know why did you just for jennifer she just felt the need to document all the stuff if there was a purpose behind it or just felt like naturally like i wanted to keep something from these experiences I like the tie-in. Thank you very much. I'm assuming that that pregnant pause meant I should jump in. Yes, I'm looking. We're looking at you. Something in cognitive and intellectual about what you just said, and in capturing a moment, and tying photography into what a mixtape could be. I like it, but it is cap. It is capturing a moment of thought. I think that mixtapes are like an extension of, you know, our thought process and an extension of our communication. It takes over that something different than just us explaining something verbally, right? We're handing over something that that looks a, a certain way. It sounds a certain way. It feels a certain way. And it actually smells a certain way. Like mm-hmm. if you have ever smelled tape or the ink, it, mm-hmm. like it's a very full experience. Yeah. I think photog- my photography is a little bit different than that, but I appreciate the tie-in. <laughs> well, I mean, let me tie it in even more because documentary wise, of course, I hope everyone has seen Salad Days and Analog Love, but I love the L7 documentary, Pretend We're Dead. And uh, I was fortunate that you you invited me to see it when it screened here uh, for the first time. And what's interesting about that doc versus other documentaries, which is normally talking heads of bands, is I think 99% of it is compromise is, is composed of footage that you shot your your both your photography and your footage like you really went out of your way to document everything and i just think there's something really special about that and you know for us it's we we kind of compulsively do that with music whether it's buying records or making tapes etc but what was that experience like watching that documentary put together knowing that so much of it came from your personal experience your personal point of view well it's interesting because i think as somebody who Um, documents and is as immature as I am in general. My experience with it is um, very personal and it's very sensitive. And it's interesting, like, like, does the art and object stand on itself? And is it okay to become reinterpreted by the director, by other members of L7, uh, you know, by the audience to like curate an entire different experience than I even had creating that work. And that is actually still something, you know, why I kind of flail around as an artist or a creator is that I still have a lot of trouble with that good for good or bad. And I've always admired Rob and you too, Scott, in your like ability to be able to like go out and present a story and present all the stuff. I have all these like crazy feelings. So when you're talking about, I've really only watched the L7 documentary once and it, Mm. and like, you know, it was just like, I have to let it go. Was it painful? Because if I just sit in here, it's going to explode my brain with like judgment and self-esteem mm-hmm. issues and like 
Ow, my foot hurts. And what do I have? You know, I mean, it's just like a crazy experience for me that I'm like too immature to like really grasp into. So I appreciate that you're (laughs) saying that. It is hard to watch your, and I can't imagine watching yourself, you know, as a band, you know, watching it kind of unfold and and watching that, the drama and everything, um, it it had to be uncomfortable. I know just from anything that I do creatively, if I watch it on screen, I mean, if it's a film and I watch it on screen, it's painful for me. It takes me a long time to get comfortable. I don't know if you're that way, Robert, but I, you know, I cringe at, at, at points. Um, sometimes I have to leave the theater from watching with people. Yeah. It's, it's, you will let me put it this way you will there was a moment where jen turned the camera on me and started interviewing me and Mm -hmm. you will never see that footage uh for maybe privately but um right yeah it's tough yeah i mean what is a documentary but really rob you telling your story i mean that's your story very personal yeah i mean it's a very personal thing it's an intimate thing and you get to know it intimately whatever the subject matter is and you know, um, yeah. and I think Robert, the way you, this kind of ties into the next question I had, which is, um, I saw something interesting posted the other day on social media about some of these punk rock docs, one of which was mine in Saddle days. And the, the quote was something along the lines of like, um, yeah, these, these filmmakers are peddling in nostalgia. And I thought that was an interesting, I think that was my quote. That was you? Okay. That's definitely Jennifer. (laughs) Well, that's interesting. Nostalgia. And I'm not a fan of, of, you know, syrupy, gross, like nostalgic stuff. And I, you know, on paper, Robert, you know, in in Saladay's could have been the same way, but, and I tried really desperately not for it to be that way, but Robert on paper, you know, yours could have been the same. Anybody that's doing something, taking a look back at something, you know, with, um, you know, you have to be careful to take the rose color, you know, colored glasses off and, and try and do it objectively. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand, I, I understand nostalgia and I, I am personally nostalgic for certain things in a certain way, but I'm also, and I think we did this in the movies. I, I kind of share, I think what Jennifer said in the film, which is like, I'm not saying that was it and it's never right. been good again. There, It evolves. It's, it's good to acknowledge nostalgia, but also to, um, acknowledge what the modern version of it is. And, and it's like through Hazel, which is a great way to make a modern mix and show what that process was then. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of people say it's like at the end of the day, it's about playing, playing something that means to you, to somebody, yeah. it, it, whether the format it comes in doesn't really matter as much. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think with your doc too, um, you're not really saying like, oh, this is the greatest music scene that ever was and it never will be again. It's like, let's look and appreciate what that was and what it means to us now. And I feel the same way about the L7 doc. I, I uh, you know, I was a huge L7 fan um, as a teen and saw them a lot. That was, that was part of the interview when Jennifer turned it on me was to <laughs> learn about my L- L7 experiences. Um, there's, there's, uh, I don't know, there's, I, look, anytime I watch any movie or listen to any music or whatever, I'm looking for the honesty of it all, what yeah. what it feels like, not a literal definition. And and uh, that's what I think is, that's what I love about all all three of the docs that we're talking about here. Yeah, um, thank you. And I thought the L7 was really, doc was really honest. And I think that's, um, you know, I think this new trend now of making docs um, by, you know, bands sort of having, 
um, hiring someone just to do a doc on their own band um, is interesting. It's an interesting concept, but I, th- I think the results from what I'm seeing over the last couple of years are just, you're not really getting kind of the full, because you're having, ultimately the band is kind of approving, you know, it's, it's like if you're, the way I always approach it is like if you're writing an article on a subject, you're not going to get their approval before you write the piece and, and, and publish it. And it's the same with the documentary. So I think, um, I think there's a danger in that. But I think L7, I think what you guys did, it was really honest and it was, you know, you put it all out there. I don't think everyone's doing that. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the insight into, I think a lot of people have a, a misconceived notion of what it's like to be in a band, what it's like to be a filmmaker. Uh, I'm sure people probably say to Scott, like, oh, you, you're a director. You've made it. You probably have a mansion and all that stuff. And the same thing with a band. And and I thought that my favorite part about the L7 documentary was how honest it was about how freaking hard um, it is to be in a band, all the pressures that come from it um, and surviving all that. Um uh, again, in, in anything I look into, I, I love the honesty of it all. And that's why I love that film as much as I, I did. Do you think that it creates a different meeting for the audience when they go and see L7 live in current days? Do you think I, it changes I, the uh, user experience? Having watched the doc and then going to see you guys? Mm-hmm. I would say it's not much, but may, maybe as much as just giving you a little context. And what I mean by that is you can go see a movie and love the movie. But if, if you see a movie that's based on a book and you read the book before you go into the movie, maybe there's a little bit more, you know, a little bit more that you'll, you'll pick up on or that's even there. But at the end of the day, like I've said it before, like L7 is one of the like most rocking bands I've ever seen live still to this day. Um, so uh, I mean, I, I don't really see much different when I see you guys live now, other than uh, I feel like I know you all a little bit better. I think it creates a better understanding of the band. So when you're watching it, you can, yeah, like you said, Robert, you have a little more context of what, it, who it is that you're watching and maybe a better. Um, how, how important it is, is it to you to know more about the artist that you are seeing when you're looking at like intertellectualized media or you're looking at references like. Is this what Jen did to you, Robert? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know, you know, like if you just walked into a room and you saw Fugazi and you're like, wow, this is a great band. Or do you walk into a room and go like, wow, historically this happened and this movement happened and I'm witnessing it. Yeah. That's a great question. I think if you just walked in blind and if we're continuing to use Fugazi as an example, um, and you didn't know the context or the backstory um, I'm sure you'd think, you know, they're a great band to watch and are, you know, musically really interesting, but I'm not sure if you'd get, if you'd have the same opinion, if you knew their full story. I mean, to me, it's like the full package. It's kind of like, you know, witnessing it firsthand and kind of growing up and being a part of all of that. And it just, it makes me proud. It makes me like, you know, you just, you saw it all firsthand and coming together and coming to fruition. And, and they're kind of like, to me, they're like the, um, um, they're the example of, of what uh, this city was trying to be. And they're the living like embodiment of that, if that makes sense. You know, the success, the doing it on your own terms, all of that. So I think all of those things factor into what you think of a, of a band. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's for me, it was always first like going, going to see a band back when I was a teenager and catching the opening act. I mean, that's all that's, 
your love at first sight moment. Like you hear someone, oh, wow, who are these people? And I think the mystique or the fun of it is, is like when I first heard Fugazi, I thought they were just a great band. That's all I thought about it. And the more you read up on them, like, oh man, their shows are five bucks and that's Mm -hmm. it. Where their records are X amount of money and that's it. And they're doing their own thing. That just makes you fall more in love with the band, I think, um, in that regard. I used to... Um, when you're younger and you don't have as much money, I used to test bands with seven inches. I would blind buy seven totally. inches. It's like the demo like, tape. Yeah. And it's like, oh, these two songs are pretty cool. And then you look over the artwork and see if there's a picture of the band and you start to kind of imagine it. So I, I would do that all the time. I think that's a little bit lost now, but um, I don't know. But I have like Apple Music and I, I sample new albums every week just to be like, oh, I wonder what that is. Yeah. You know, based on the description. So I do think there was something to be said about the artwork, you know, um, I know it's been talked about to death, but you know, just buying records just based on um, the artwork. I wasn't one of those people necessarily, but I do think that it led to the mystique, especially when there's no band photo and all you're looking at is just art. And you're going, what the fuck? Well, I, a question for you guys, if you remember, do you remember the first record you ever bought? Because as a little kid, for me, I bought it solely on artwork. <laughs> oh, it yeah. It was uh, Rolling Stones Tattoo You mm-hmm. and the Jay Giles Band um, Freeze Frame, which had like a very Dolly-esque cover. So I didn't know what those things, either of those sounded like. I just saw the cool tattooed face and that Dolly-esque painting. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but I, I want it. <laughs> right, right. Jen, do you remember yours? Yeah, mine was kind of a different experience. I got Jan and Dean's uh, Hang On Sloopy because I thought they were saying Hang On Snoopy. Snoopy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I think my first, I didn't, definitely did not buy it on the the, uh, basis of the artwork. It was, um, uh, it was Quiet Riot. It was um, Come On Feel The Noise. It was a single and had no art. It was just a sleeve, but I bought it. Oh, that explains everything that's wrong with you. That's the first record I ever bought. My second one was ELO because of uh, the album artwork had the punch out where you could build a paper oh, yeah. spaceship. Yeah, that's cool. A sucker that's for that cool. kind of stuff still. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, are you much of a, sa- like, do you save stuff? I'm, you know, for someone that makes films about, um, you know, things that happened in another decade or something. Um, I don't really hold on to shit and it's, it's uh, I wish I did. Yeah. I actually have a, a big, I have a storage unit, storage so unit. like an organized archive, wow. not quite at the Henry level. Right. But I have a lot of film and memorabilia. Robert, didn't you mention to me that um, speaking of like Henry, um, Henry and Ian are kind of like our modern day, like Alan Lomax or something, you know, like they, they're just, you know, they, they keep their shit in like climate controlled you know, places. And, um, but like, didn't you mention to me, Robert, at one point that you were talking to Ian about being in the film and something happened or you couldn't, the timing wasn't right or something like that. Yeah. I, I, uh, well, look, I, I, again, I loved Fugazi growing up and they're a big part of my life. And, and what I thought was interesting, I, I spoke to Ian through a mutual friend, somebody who connected us. And what I thought would have been interesting and who knows, maybe later down the line, we could do a sequel or something, uh, or spinoff, but, Basically, the the latter half of the documentary was about finding pairs of people and and exploring why music was so important to them. So, um, you know, a father and a son, um, you know, a husband and a wife, etc. 
And to me, I thought it would have, you know, we had already talked to Henry and he, a lot of the conversation revolved around him sharing music with Ian, first tape he made for Ian, how he copied that, et cetera. He just kept coming back to Ian and yeah. saying, even now in our fifties, he's still my best friend who I talk to about music every week. And so I, I didn't, I, I wanted to interview Ian on the other end. I wanted to put them both together, right? Not, not because of who they are or as punk icons, but as childhood friends. I was yeah. like, all right, I have a father and a son. I have a father and a daughter. I have a, hus- a husband and a wife. It would be great to talk to childhood friends. Sure. They just happen to be punk legends. But right. if you ignore that, I just thought that was an interesting story. And, and again, um, Ian, he was very kind and he would have done it. I just couldn't afford to get out to the, it would have required me going to the East coast. And I think, I think we shot 99.9% of, of analog love in LA locally. Yeah. Um, it was just, it was just timing and, and money that prevented me from doing it. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, and Ian doesn't have the, he claims he doesn't have the nostalgia that, that Henry does. And, and that's probably true to an extent, but I do think that it means something to him that, that For sure. connection between him and Henry. And I, I offered, um, I asked Ian if he wanted the Blu-ray now that it's done. And he's like, I don't have a Blu-ray player, but I'll put it in our vault. And I'm like, well, (laughs) I'd be honored that it's somewhere in Discord sitting there. So, yeah. You know what I always say? I'm adaptable. Whatever happens, I'll (laughs) adapt. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Mac can change the user interfaces as much as they want. Music can change. Whatever it is, I'm going to figure it out. It's just the next thing to deal with. Yeah. Jennifer, have you ever considered putting a book out of your photography? No, because I don't want to deal with that medium because I still feel it's just a dead art. It just it just creates this end product that doesn't allow people who look at the photography enough interaction with it. So what's your preferred, what's the way that you prefer people to? Well, what I'd like to do if I could get it together, maybe Rob can come over and help edit. I just want to do a fanzine, like something that's mm-hmm. uh, by mail with a stamp, kind of in the environment that the photographs were probably meant to be viewed in intentionally, and then have that as like a six month subs- or year subscription with six issue limited issues. But you you have digitized all your work at this point, right? The photography stuff. Oh yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything was digitized, and I mean, I came in and did you know, small passes like in 2011 or something, and then did large digital scans. I did this thing where I had a, I had a fundraiser, right. And I got it all my energy together and I did this whole Kickstarter and I was like, save the film, blah, blah, blah. There's only like 8,000. I raised like $10,000 and I was like, this is it. I got enough money to do it. And I packed everything in boxes to India, like big boxes, six big big boxes and they counted them. And when they got there, there were like 23,000 scans. And I was just like, Oh, Oops. <laughs> oh no. I, it all went on a credit card. Oh, and shit. Just resentful for like three years. Just yeah. resentful. No, I get it. I get it. Oh, I remember, I remember that campaign. Do you remember? I remember who that wrote, too. Do you know, remember who wrote the, uh, the campaign, the, the dialogue that you, uh... <laughs> I think that was you, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> She called, she's like, I, you're the writer. What, what, how do I, how do I say this? And I'm like, Make okay. a word, go with another <laughs> word. Please. Right. Right. Um, so Robert, you, uh, analog love. So that was six years you spent making that, correct? 
Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, was that just weekends and like, you know, holidays and whatever the hell you could kind of, I mean, that's, that's yeah. a, I mean, I know how long it can, I mean, you know, four years goes like that. Um, I know four or five years goes by very quickly when you're making these things, but. Um, yeah. No, unintentional. I, I mean, I, I'd made a documentary that the last documentary I made took me about three years and it came out in 2010. And I said, I'll never do that again. Yeah. Uh, and this one took twice as long. Um, but, but again, I think, I think the desire is, is to, um, and I don't know how, if this is how it is with, with your creative projects. I, I think you're a lot more professional documentarian than I am, but I, uh, I've never, I've never like raised a chunk of money to make a creative endeavor. Meaning like, I've never said to somebody, Hey, I need like 10 grand to make this thing. Um, I always make it with what I have. So it's like, okay, this weekend I have access to this, this and that I can go I shoot. See. I can meet with this person. And part of that also helps me shape it because I, you know, I have a, a blueprint of what I wanted it to be, you know, analog love started at, um, at Amoeba music because I worked at Amoeba in Hollywood for two and a half years. And I didn't, I, I didn't know Jennifer yet. <laughs> uh, so it was more like, well, I know really interesting people that I worked with that have varying tastes in music that could speak on the subject. And I started that way because I think a lot of people get, with any creative endeavor get wrapped up in the idea of I need this to accomplish that rather than let me just start because the moment you start and it, it then it exists. So it's like the yep. moment we shot our first interview, I'm like, well, I guess I started a making thing. a documentary and yeah. then the second interview. And then you're like, well, I can't stop now. Right. And then that's the kind of the fun of it. I mean, we got, we got Henry because he happened to do a low budget horror movie that a director friend of mine made. So it's like, it's interesting how each thing leads to the next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, and, and actually everything that came out of it was, that's the other thing. Music connects us in, in much broader ways. Um, you know, my friendship with Jennifer came out of this doc and I think it's a beautiful thing. Like shortly after I met her, um, uh, I interviewed Kim Shattuck and she was like, do you want to come see us play next weekend? And I'm like, of course I do. Yeah. She put me on the list and, and just, spur of the moment i was like you know it would be cool if i went with jennifer to go see the muffs like that'd be a cool thing and and that kind of started our friendship through music um so yeah a lot of beautiful things had come out of the whole experience so i wish it didn't take six years but i think the timing was just right um and the world's a weird place now and it's like i think i think uh we could use some positive vibes and i i, I hope that the message behind the movie is positive absolutely uh, you know yeah. Is it stream? Where is it streaming? Uh, uh, it's after a distributor called Passion River, and it's mm -hmm. easily accessible on iTunes, uh, Apple TV, Google Play, and YouTube. And there's a limited edition Blu-ray that um, I had made up that's got some stuff with Jennifer's photography, a little bit more oh, of nice. Henry's mixtape collection. Um, and that's on Amazon, or you could find it at Amoeba Music or uh, Jackknife Records and Tapes which is a great shop in Atwater Village here in, in LA. Um, and I will slowly start to get it out to more record shops like that because that's kind of where I want people to find this. So are you doing this sort of, um, as far as the distribution or whatever, or, or the brick and mortar stuff, are you doing that yourself? Yeah, because, because you know, we're, we're in a day and age where people, this is, you know, I, I'm very happy with our distributor. I think they're great people, but 
most distributors this day and age only focus on digital releases and yeah. uh it hurt my soul to think that a movie about physical media would not be available on physical media so the physical media i made myself and yeah. it's the blu-rays come from me so sure what um did uh what's going on with l7 did COVID affect did you have any plans yeah yeah i mean we've been touring so yeah you know, we released Scatter the Rats. Right. And Blackout Records, which yep. everyone wants to check Joan out. Jeff's label. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, we had full tour plans for last year and this year, but we've just bumped everything up because it'll be uh, the Bricks Are Heavy 30-year anniversary next year. Nice. So we're pulling it together for that. Okay. And oh, some recording cool. surprises. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congrats. It's a great film. And, and Jennifer, thanks for, for uh, your time and for coming on on the show and I hope to have you uh, on the show again. Of course, my pleasure. Anytime.